Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
four days ago, I had $15 in my pocket, in my billfold. And then suddenly, I was given the gift of $100. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm glad you've joined for this broadcast. I pray it will open windows of heaven for you that you could be happy. I carried for four days that $115 in my pocket, saying, Lord, what's this $100 for? This morning, I woke up, went to the prayer closet, as is my normal custom, showered and shaved and dressed, went to pay my rent, which the Lord had blessed me with the ability to do. And then close to where the bank was for the rent was a Panera's, where a precious friend is the manager. And I heard, go encourage him. Go speak to him in in a way that will encourage his heart because he's having a very difficult time. So I went and he saw me walk in and he said, Pastor, what can I get for you? I said, just a cup of coffee. Was that all? Yes. So we stood and spoke for several minutes and I witnessed and encouraged his heart, assured him of my continued prayer. I hadn't seen him for two or three weeks. He urged me to have some food, and I said, no, I'm, I'm fasting before the Lord, but I will have a coffee. So he quickly went and got me what I needed for a coffee, did not charge me. I looked around for where should I sit, and the Holy Spirit spoke, and he said, sit outside. I'll show you. So I walked out. I sat down at the table, and the Holy Spirit said, I'm sending someone. I want you to give them that $100 that I gave you. I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. So he showed me where to sit. I saw a man walk by, and I was drawn immediately to him by the Spirit, and I said, Lord, is that the man I'm to give this $100 to? A short time later, he approached my table very quietly, and he sat down at the empty chair beside me. And he said, I need your help. I said, how can I help you? He said, I'm homeless. I have lost my job. I've lost my apartment. I have a woman with me and a small child, three years of age. And we're all homeless. And I'm in desperate need of $26. And he began to explain 
how he would use that $26. I stopped him. I said, is that all you need? Well, no, sir, but I didn't think I could ask for any more. I I just asked someone for help, and they called me a piece of excrement. So I didn't have the courage to ask for any more. Well, how much do you need? Well, I really need $46. I said, okay. So I took out of my billfold $60. I said, will that help? He said, that will help. But since you've been so bold to help me, will you give me 20 more? I said, yes. I gave him $100. And I said to him, are you a Christian? Yes. Are you obeying him and walking humbly before him? No. No, I'm not. I'm struggling. I said, how can you afford to struggle? If you don't settle things with Jesus and walk holy before him, how do you expect him to help you financially? And how do you expect to get a job if Jesus doesn't order your steps? You say you're a Christian, but you're not walking like a Christian. You're begging. I said to him, the Lord sent me to this table this morning with $100 that he gave me with the orders that I was to give that $100 to someone. And you came and sat at my table and asked me for that $100. So I gave it to you. Do you know what that means? He looked at me. I said, it means that Jesus cares about you and he's calling you to repent of your sin, to get right with him. You think what you need is a job and you think what you need is money, but I'm here to tell you, you need Jesus because Jesus just gave you $100. It was not mine. He gave it to me with the express command that I was to give it to a person that he would send to me. He knew four days ago that you would be approaching me and asking for this $100. And I've given it to you. Now, what are you going to do with Jesus? He said, well, God is good all the time. I said, no, 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 don't give me that. God is good, but he's tough as nails. And he has you in a very painful and difficult place. You're utterly broken before him. You don't know where you're going to sleep tonight with a three-year-old child and a woman that you're responsible to take care of, and you're not even married to, are you? No, I'm not married. So you're living in sin, yes. Well, Jesus is concerned not about your money. He can send you money like he did that $100. The issue he's trying to deal with is the rebellion and the wickedness of your heart. Now, what are you going to do about Jesus? And then I said to him after an hour's conversation, 
I need to leave. I invite you to listen to the radio broadcast that I'm doing from 1 to 2 o'clock, Monday through Friday. I gave him how to listen. And he asked if I would drive him home. Home being a place where he could stay during the day with his three-year-old and his woman. But he was on the streets at night. I took him there and dropped him off. My heart was broken for him. I did exactly as the Lord directed me to do, and no more and no less. I spoke an honest word of God to him. He thinks that what he needs is a job and money, and yes, those things would help. He thinks he needs an apartment, and yes, that would be good. But that's not what he really needs. He needs to come to terms with the utter poorness the grinding poverty of his spirit. Now, most of us have ways to cover over that grinding poverty so that we don't have to look it in the face. We don't have to scramble for how we're going to beg for enough money for a place to sleep for the night. When I begin to talk to a person, like you, about the gospel of Jesus. I have to begin where Jesus began. The be happy attitudes. They're not happy in the flesh. These are spirit beatitudes that overflow into the physical realm. But the truth is, you will live in grinding poverty regardless of whether you're a pauper or a multimillionaire or a billionaire. You will live as a pauper in the spirit. One of the poorest men I know is a man by the name of Bill Gates. I don't know him. I know of him. He's a desperately poor man in the spirit. But he can cover it up with his wicked agenda he can destroy the lives of men and women. He can do great harm. And he will do that because of the grinding poverty of his spirit as he resides under the power and control of darkness. Jesus begins to talk about salvation, that is, being saved from our sins. In Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is, blessed are those who recognize the grinding poverty of their spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven has come to change the grinding poverty of our spirits and to release us into a new realm. Now, what I'd like to do with you in the next few minutes is look closely at the beginning of ministry in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all begin in different ways but essentially where Jesus begins to teach 
the kingdom of heaven, they all start at the same place. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel comes to Joseph to tell him not to put away Mary, that what she has in her is a child by the spirit of the living God. And this angel says to Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 21, And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Mark it well. He himself will save his people from their sins. Now, that's going to be the entire focus that you must maintain the context for to understand the mission of Jesus. It was to save us from our sins. That's what the angel Gabriel said. Now, Matthew then tells us about John the Baptist. His task was to prepare the way of the Lord to make his paths straight. Sin is referred to as a crooked path. John the Baptist came to straighten that path for people so that they could enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God and walk a crooked path. And then he begins in verse 7. This is Matthew 3, verse 7. But having seen many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, O offspring of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? In fact, you must produce fruit worthy of repentance. And you may not think to say among yourselves, We have a father, Abraham, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham out of these stones. And even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. So every tree not producing good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John the Baptist introduces the ministry of Jesus by saying you must have a total change in your life. You cannot live in the grinding poverty of your spirit and be happy. There has to be a change. And he says, furthermore, that the axe is already at the root of your life. And if you do not come to acknowledge the bitter grinding poverty of your spirit, you will be cut down and you will be thrown into the fire. There is only one door into the kingdom of God. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Because they don't want to begin the journey with Jesus by going to deal with the grinding poverty of their spirit. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor 
and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with a fire never to be put out. In other words, Jesus came to separate the wheat and the chaff. The wheat are those who begin the journey by dealing honestly with the grinding poverty of their spirit. Chapter 4, verse 17. After his temptation at the hands of the devil, he goes forth into Galilee to begin his ministry. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, you must repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So the first word that Jesus gives us in the book of Matthew is you must repent, because the kingdom of God is coming near. The next word Jesus speaks is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Dealing with that grinding poverty of spirit. Now, in the story of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, as he begins to go toward the gate, the entrance, the beginning place, he's under deep conviction. He sees his sin plainly, and he knows that if there is not a dramatic change in his life, he will go to hell. Now, many are going to come, and I will share this tomorrow, Many are going to come and try to give him answers for another way he can enter the kingdom of heaven. But I want to tell you today very boldly, there is no way to enter into the kingdom of God without first beginning to deal with the miry swamp. This miry swamp, Bunyan writes, cannot be filled or repaired. It is the low spot where collects all the scum and filth that goes along with conviction for sin. And that is why it is called the swamp of despond. When a sinner is awakened to his lost condition, and I want to tell you, please, the most difficult part of this journey is to allow the Holy Spirit to fully uncover in your heart your spiritual condition before a holy God. We don't like to look at it. We don't like to deal with it. We try to cover ourselves up with all kinds of fig leaves. <clears throat> but the truth is, the fig leaves have to come off. And there has to be a transparency of spirit and a willingness to come out in the light where our nakedness can be clearly seen and felt and known and wept over. 
Some of you have come partially out into the light and you have dealt with some of the grosser sins, but you've never allowed the Holy Spirit full access to your inner life. And your inner life is filled with doubts and fears, discouragements, lust, unclean thoughts, anger, bitterness, ambition. Are you free of all of that? Have you been washed in the blood? Have you been born from above? When a sinner is awakened to his lost condition, then doubts, fears, discouragements, apprehensions swell up in his soul along with other miseries which all get together and settle in this swamp. And that is why the ground is so bad in this place. It is not the pleasure of the king that this place should remain so bad. His laborers, at the direction of his majesty's surveyors, have been trying to repair it for 1,600 years. Now 2,000 years. To the best of my knowledge, this place has swallowed up 20,000 wheelbarrows of wholesome instruction brought from all corners of the king's dominion. But even after all the best material for mending this swamp has been applied, it still remains the swamp of despond. There are, by the direction of the lawgiver, good solid steps placed throughout the middle of the swamp, but the poor But the poor weather the filth that spews from the swamp, and it makes it hard to see them. And even when the weather is good and the steps plainly seen, some men are so confused and mixed up that they miss the steps and end up in the swamp. One thing you can be sure of, though, once you go through the narrow gate, the ground is good. a man I've been struggling with for years, said to me yesterday, Pastor, this journey is just too hard. I'm considering taking a break and going out, forgetting about Jesus and just trying to do my life on my own. I think I can do better than he can do. I said, I'm astonished by your ignorance, by your rebellion. It's plain to me that you have not yet dealt with the depth of your own wicked heart. Those kind of thoughts that Jesus is a hard man only come from an arrogant, demonic-inspired soul where in ignorance you finally walk into hell. Don't go there. Instead, let Jesus deal with the wickedness of your heart. Don't quit. Come fully into the light and let it be plainly seen that you are still walking in arrogance before God. I don't know what his decision will be. I'm waiting to hear.
Now, I want to take you another step. The second beatitude, blessed are the ones mourning, for they will be comforted. We're not yet ready to deal with the comfort part. That will come. But what's plain is that if you begin to deal with the poverty, the grinding poverty of your spirit in its wickedness, and you begin to be exposed by the Holy Spirit, and there begins to grow a conviction in your heart that you're being called by God, but you're still walking in arrogance before him, in self-sufficiency before him. One of the thing that be, things that begin to happen is you'll begin to mourn over the wickedness of your heart, and you will call yourselves every kind of stupid. How could I have been so dumb? How could I have missed what God was trying to say to me as he tried to warn me, don't go that way? And you will mourn. And just as the grinding poverty of your spirit has to be dealt with, so also the mourning has to be finished. The grieving, the grieving over your wickedness. Now, I want to go with you to the book of Mark. I want you to see how Mark introduces the gospel of Jesus. How does Jesus begin his ministry? Well, again, John the Baptist is introduced. He is called to make straight a path for the Lord God of heaven. He's called to make that path straight. But listen, verse 14 of chapter 1. After Jesus is tested by the devil, tempted to sin against the Almighty, Verse 14, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time has, has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. You must repent and must believe in the gospel. That's how Mark introduces Jesus Christ. Again, it's with a proclamation that the kingdom of God is coming near. And the only way you can enter into that kingdom is by repentance. That's what John the Baptist said. And that's what Jesus said. Now, let me be very plain with you. You can go to church and you can say a little sinner's prayer and you can be told by a pastor that you're saved and you don't have to deal with all the muck and mire of your life. Or you can say, I'm going to, I'm going to accept Jesus now as my Lord and Savior, but I need him to do some things for me first to prove that he's there. It doesn't work that way. That just reveals the utter poverty, the grinding poverty of your spirit. 
and your circumstances are necessary to begin to humble and break your heart. Jesus will bring to us and allow the devil to do to us whatever is necessary that we should finally come to a place where we will acknowledge our sin before God. You were told you could stay in your sin, that you could never stop sinning. You were told that Jesus loves you unconditionally. Those were all lies. Nothing could be further from the truth. If Jesus loved you unconditionally, then there would be no hell. But there is a place of fire that will burn forever. And those who will not deal with their poverty of spirit now will find themselves in that burning lake of fire and it will be too late to change your mind. Now is the time to deal honestly with God. This man I spoke of at the beginning of the broadcast, he just wanted money so he could be a little bit more comfortable and have some food to eat and and care for a little girl three years of age. He just wanted money. Jesus recognized that and gave him $100. But now he's calling this man to repent. He's calling this man to humble his heart. So we come to the book of Luke, and the story opens with John the Baptist, and then it moves from John the Baptist to the birth of Jesus. Now, Again, he speaks these words, even now every tree not producing good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then Jesus is tested, and then he goes to Nazareth. This is his hometown. He enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. They gave him the scroll because of all the healing he'd been doing. It was famous homeboy coming to the synagogue in Nazareth. He opens the scroll to Isaiah, and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because of which he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to restore the ones having been broken in heart, to proclaim deliverance for the captives and the recovery of sight for the blind, to send forth the ones having been downtrodden with deliverance, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, there are some who want to take these words 
and make them about social justice or make them about taking care of the economically depressed and downtrodden and poor. And yes, I did that for a poor man today. But that's not what this passage of Scripture is about. This is Jesus' proclamation of what his gospel is going to be about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because of which he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. If we take Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 18, and we go back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, to the Beatitudes, Jesus opens that Beatitude by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are the ones mourning, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Then in Luke, it's to preach the gospel to the poor. He's not speaking here about economically poor. He's speaking here about poor in spirit, the grinding poverty of the poor in spirit. He has sent me to restore the ones having been broken in heart. Who are the broken in heart? The broken in heart are the ones who have recognized their utter impossible, impossible journey before them. They cannot escape this grinding poverty of spirit. And Jesus is coming to restore the ones having been broken in heart, the ones mourning in the second beatitude of Matthew 5. You see, Scripture is not choose a text here and choose a text there. It has context. And the whole context of Jesus' ministry is John the Baptist coming saying, repent. Jesus comes saying, Repent. There is unity in their ministry, in their message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he begins to preach by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I I shared with you earlier, there are two words for poor. One poor is you can have your family, you can take care of business, you can make progress, and you can help yourself get ahead in life. The other word for poor, which is used here in Matthew 5, verse 3, is grinding poverty. You can do nothing to help yourself. You, you are making just enough money to eat for the day, to survive. And then blessed are the ones who are, who are able to mourn over their condition of brokenness, of poorness. So Jesus comes in Luke, the fourth chapter, and he says, I've been sent to preach the gospel, the good news about the kingdom of God, not the good news about financial strategies, not the good news about you can have money in your pocket if you'll just go and invest in this. No, he's come to preach the gospel to the poor, to those who have no ability to change their situation. 
He sent me to restore the ones having been utterly broken in heart who are weeping before me because of the absolute poverty of their spirit. Now, if you go with me to the book of John, the first chapter of the book of John deals with who Jesus is. The Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The one was in the beginning is with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing happened that has happened. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light keeps on shining in the darkness, but the darkness overpowered it not. So again, we're coming. Jesus is bringing light. What is the light for? To expose every crooked highway, every wicked thing in our hearts. Now, we come to chapter 2. The first thing Jesus does is turn the water into wine at the Cana Galilee wedding feast. What was he doing? It was the water, huge water jars for the purpose of washing and purifying. And he turns that water into wine. First comes the washing. And then the total changing into the wine of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. This was the first sign of what Messiah was about for John. Then comes chapter 3. So now we're going to hear clearly how a man can begin to enter into the kingdom of God. To review, a man enters into the kingdom of God first by repenting and then by recognizing the utter poorness of his soul, the depravity of his soul. In Mark, a man enters into the kingdom of God by repenting for his sin. And then in Luke, a man enters the kingdom of God by hearing the gospel that sets a poor man free. There is a gospel that sets you free, but you have to begin at being bitterly, grindingly poor of spirit and then the release comes in the gospel of John now there was a man from among the Pharisees his name was Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to him by night and said to him Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that has come from God, for no one is able to do these things, these signs that you're doing, unless God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Now hear it. I've given you Matthew. I've given you Mark. I've given you Luke. 
Now Jesus is going to say it much more clearly in the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless anyone may be born from above, he is not able to experience the kingdom of God. Okay. How do I experience the kingdom of God? Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 5, this is John 3, verse 5, unless anyone may be born out of water and the Spirit, he is not able to enter the kingdom of God. Things having been born out of the flesh is flesh, and things having been born out of the Spirit is spirit. Again, the first place you must begin is to be washed with the water. You cannot be washed with the water. You cannot be made holy by the blood until you've been through the swamp of despond. Until you have been willing to acknowledge the utter depravity, the utter wickedness, the utter uncleanness of your heart before God. Now, I shared with you, but let me share again. Out of the book of Romans, There is not a righteous man, not even one. The only righteousness that's available to you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you cannot enter into the righteousness of Jesus Christ until you have dealt with the fact that you are not a righteous person. There's no one understanding. There's no one seeking God. If you're seeking God today, it's because the Father in heaven, by his Spirit, has called you. He's called all men. But he's called you specifically. Every conceivable man turned away. Together they become morally depraved. There is no one doing what is right. There's not so much as one. Their throat is like a grave having been opened. Working deceit with their tongues. Venom of deadly vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitter trouble. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Devastation and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they know not. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's the truth. Now, many of you call yourselves Christians, but you've never had a heart full of great rejoicing. You've been bound by fear. You've been bound by lust. You've been bound by discouragement, depression. You've been bound by all kinds of things. Why? Because you have never fully humbled your heart before Almighty God 
and acknowledge the total depravity of your soul, the fact that you deserve only one thing, and that is to go to hell and be burned with fire. There is no such thing as a good man. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, Why do you call me good? There is only one who is good. You are not a good man, and you are not a good woman in the flesh. Until you come fully to terms with this, and fully repent, and mourn over your wicked heart, you can never have the burden of sin removed from your life. Now, you can dress up in Christian clothes. You can claim that you're a Christian and you love Jesus, but you're still going to be fornicating. You're still going to be living with a woman you're not married to. You're still going to be abusing alcohol. You're still going to be having your thoughts filled with ambition and lust and bitterness and anger. You're going to be condescending toward other people. You're going to be judgmental. You're going to call them garbage or human excrement. Until you deal to the bottom, God cannot use you in his kingdom. Some of you very much want to be used by God, but God can't use you because of your judgmental spirit, because of your pride, because of your arrogance. This is so painful. I've spent my time in the miry swamp. But I am here to tell you that after you leave leave the miry swamp, you will find some very solid ground to walk on. but you will have to walk on that solid ground with your hands lifted up to praise and worship Jesus and no longer carry any of the sin of the wicked human heart. Oh, pastor, I have the rest of my life to be sanctified by Jesus and I'm working on my sin. No, you've not really recognized your sin. You're doing a human flesh self-improvement job and you're calling that the gospel of Christ. It's not the gospel. We are not called to work on things. You cannot be saved by the law and we're going to go into that in depth tomorrow. Salvation comes by faith in the blood of Jesus. He is the one who makes us righteous. But to enter into that grace and to enter into that righteousness, we must first come to terms with the miry swamp. And we must begin to allow ourselves to weep over our sin. How the Lord came to me in the middle of the night, and he said to me audibly, I have forgiven all of your sins. That was some time ago. All I could do is stand there and weep with joy. 
Now, sometimes I'm tempted to go back and climb back in that miry swamp and feel bad and say, Lord, how could your grace cover this wickedness? But that's not what God wants me to do. He wants me to walk in faith and courage and confidence and know that I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I think some of you are are likewise tempted to go back and to climb in the miry swamp and have the joy of your heart stolen. I know you all are in different places. I'm very grateful for you listening. I pray it's been helpful today. I'm particularly grateful for Kayla, who is posting on our on our YouTube chat. Thank you, Kayla. God bless you, dear sister. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. Lord, I just come to say, please, would you give to us the grace to deal to the bottom of the grinding poverty of our spirit that we could then hear the gospel message Lord, we've heard the gospel message much too soon and it's been cheap. We've not gone to the bottom. Lord, I pray for each who's listening today. I ask you to bless them with your presence and your mercy and your grace. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. This message will be up tonight. I love you all. I'm very grateful for you. I'm grateful for your love and support and notes. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.